We are in part five of our series, No Peace. And we've been looking again at what, what is the biblical concept of peace as opposed to, we, we oftentimes have biblical sort of ideas and we have church ideas that we think are biblical, but oftentimes are more churchy than biblical. So all through this, we've been trying to say, what does the Bible actually say about peace? Because especially we live in a time right now where peace is kind of a thing that is, you know, really kind of sketchy. We don't really have a lot of it. We may not feel it. So the big thing we've seen through here is that peace, this idea of completeness, this idea of finished, it's not just, doesn't mean emotional tranquility, that the reason we don't have peace is not because God has somehow failed, it's because we've actually failed. Because God keeps trying to give us peace and we don't tend to accept peace. We don't tend to uh, follow him and therefore we don't take his gift of peace. God offers peace and we reject it because we want to do things our own way because that's what we do. As human beings, we like to do things our own way, and we don't do well when somebody tells us different. We saw all the way through here, we've been seeing all these different weeks that the Messiah does peace differently. He does not do peace the way we would do peace. And last week, we saw that Jesus said, listen, I'm, I'm not even bringing peace. I'm bringing a sword, not because Jesus is trying to be provocative, but because the way the Messiah does peace, the way of peace in his kingdom conflicts with the world. Or the better way to put it is the world conflicts with God's way. Why? Because we do it our way. And our way is not God's way, and so then there's conflict. But that conflict isn't because God's causing conflict, it's because we do. And so Jesus' system conflicts with our system. And that's really so much of what's going on today, because oftentimes we try to take the world system and just make it Jesus-like. Like, all right, we're just going to take some of the some of the good news, you know, and, and turn God's kingdom into just morals. Well, if you turn God's kingdom into just morals where, you know, don't kill people and don't lie, well, those are two good things not to do. But, you know, you don't need Jesus for those two rules. You don't need Jesus. There are other religions without Jesus that think that you shouldn't lie and you shouldn't kill people. All right? You can do that without Jesus. But the whole is bigger than that. It's this whole idea of an entire different way of living that is centered around not us not ourselves, this built around Jesus' kingdom. Now, one of the other things that we talked about last week, we said, imagine being in the disciples' shoes. And imagine where you think you know what's going to happen, and you're all excited, and you've met the Messiah, and you think you know what's going to happen, and then it doesn't happen that way. And we want to pick that thought up today, because, see, the disciples knew what was going to happen. They knew how this worked. They identified the Messiah. He's the Messiah. We hear them say, you're the Messiah. In you, we have the words of eternal life, which again, their way of saying that would have been the, the life of the kingdom. So they knew what was going to happen. There was going to be a conflict between the Messiah and the forces of this world, which they saw as the Roman Empire, because that's who they were under control of. And the Messiah and the Roman Empire were going to get into a battle or war, and the Messiah would win. Yay! And at the end of the conflict, the Messiah would rule. And so they were like, yay, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And so even though Jesus keeps telling them that's not what's going to happen, they didn't hear him because they knew what was going to happen. They already know. And so they couldn't hear the truth because they already thought they knew the truth, which is, that's what we do, right? We already know this is how it is. And so then data that doesn't fit with how we know it is, we just ignore. Well, that's not right. I must have misunderstood or they're wrong. And so even though Jesus repeatedly, we look at them and we go, man, those guys are dumb. Why don't they get it? Jesus keeps telling them, why don't they get it? Well, because just like us, when we think we know, we don't listen very well because I already know. So here, this is what happens. 
Jesus is again going to talk to them, and he's trying to tell them he's leaving, and you're going to hear them go, what? What do you mean you're leaving? Huh? Let's look at it. So we start here in John. It's hard to change worlds because they know how their world works. They're wrong, but they think they know. So John 14, 15, we start off, and we have to, right here, man, there's so much in this passage. We could do whole sermons on this, and oftentimes we do. But because of that, we take the verses out of context to do individual sermons. So 15 is a sermon. We could do the whole morning on this one. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We know this one, right? This is what you use with, with people. Doesn't it sound slightly passive-aggressive there? If you loved me, you would do what I asked. That's a parental move right there. If you loved me, obey me. Is Jesus being passive-aggressive here? Is God being manipulative? We need to turn back to the context of this one. This is actually in the Old Testament. So verse 15, uh, don't lose John, but turn back to Deuteronomy, way back to the Old Testament, the law. Deuteronomy 5, verses 20, not, verse 29. God speaking here in Deuteronomy 5, 29, as he's been giving the law. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Hear, hear the voice of God there as he says, oh, I wish, they had, I wish they had a heart for me. So when we read verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, we need to not get that out of order, which is we tend to reverse that, and, and pastors like me, because I look at you and I say, oh, you're not really obeying God. You must not love him. So oh, start obeying. The key here is that God's desire is for our heart primarily not our obedience primarily. Obedience comes from a heart. Obedience doesn't give you the heart, okay? Obedience comes from a heart for God. So even though if you love me, keep my commandments is how we translate that. But what it means is if you have love for me, you'll obey. So if you're not obeying, what's the secret? To obey? No, the secret is to go back and find the love. Because God's desire is that we have a heart for him, a relationship the heart of God is a heart, not the reverse. So you don't obey to get the heart. You get the heart, and then you will obey. We'll see that play out again in this passage, but let's keep going. Because then in verse 16 and 17, he says, now listen, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. He says, so I'm going to send another helper. Why? I'm leaving, but I'm going to send a backup. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit And this Holy Spirit, this other helper, is not part of the world system and cannot be accessed by the world system. Again, totally different world here. Verse 17, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive Him. It doesn't know Him, but you know Him. He abides with you and will be in you. The promise of the helper. Then verses 18 or 19, reassurance. He says, listen, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. We'll be together. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. We'll be together. I'm not leaving you alone, and we'll be together again. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. See? Starts with love, results in obedience, not the other way around. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and he will disclose my, and, and will disclose myself to him. I will reveal myself. So this is all very, because we're going to be in love, and we're going to be together, and you will not be alone. And this makes no sense to them. So love is to walk in obedience, not obedience is to love. Love is to obey. Different. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? He goes, huh? What do you mean the world's not going to see you but we will see you? Why, why, why is this tripping them up? Because they know what's going to happen. Big battle, whole world sees Messiah. And he goes, now you'll still see me, but nobody else will see me. And Judas not scared goes, huh? What do you mean? What do you mean that the, what? Notice this question. What happened? Because they know the plan. They don't, but they think they do. And so then you'll notice that because they go, huh? Jesus in 23 through 31 is going to say what he just said in 15 through 21. He's just going to say the same thing over again. If it sounds repetitive, it's because he's like, okay, let's review. I'll say it again. And they're going to get it as thoroughly the second time as they got it the first time. So notice the repeat, verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come and abide with him. So we start with love and we get together. He who does not love me doesn't keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, while I'm living with you. But the Helper, there's that repeat, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring you remembrance of all that I said to you. So he recaps, love, obedience, presence, we're going to be together. This is just a start, more to come. And he says, we're sending this Helper, and this Helper, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of my own notes. This Helper, verse 25 and 26, he's going to help you remember this is really important because what we're reading, we're reading the Gospel of John, or the Gospel according to John. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So four of these guys are going to write accounts of Jesus' life. None of them were written. These are not diaries. They didn't write them now. They wrote them years later. They sat down and said, you know, we should write that stuff down. Well, you know how it is. Okay, now, what did we do next? And you say, wow, these are awfully amazing descriptions, including whole lessons recreated later. How did that happen? Well, he said, verse 26, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He's going to help you remember all the teachings, which is going to come in real handy when they write them down. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to bring that back to mind. And the other reason this is going to be important is because, remember, they're missing most of it, including everything we're hearing today, right over their head. They're like, uh, so we're good, right? No, I'm going to be gone. Oh, and when he left, they went, where'd he go? Even though he just told them twice in this passage. If you read the accounts, you'll see at times they'll say, at the time we didn't understand, but later we remembered. Because the Holy Spirit said, okay, remember when Jesus said that? That's this. They went, oh. And so all this is going to come back to them later. And then he says this, verse 27, and this is the verse that brought us to this passage as we talk about biblical peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Uh, do I give to you? 
That's the one we quote. Peace, not as the world gives. Anybody ever quote that one or at least know it? Peace, not as the world gives. We have no idea what that means, right? We just know it's supposed to be different. How? I don't know. Just peace, not as the world gives. Well, he gives us, he explains it. This peace is different than the world. What does it look like? Second part of the verse. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. We tend to take that verse and we lift it out and we crochet it onto things and hang it on walls. And that's not bad, but he is not expounding some generalized principle. These are specific instructions for their time, for their moment. Why? Because what is he talking about? He says it in the next verse. You have heard it said that I go away and will come to you. It's about to get really real. Because they think he's about to win and he's about to lose. They think there's going to be this big battle and he's going to walk out victorious. And actually, a bunch of Roman soldiers are going to storm a garden, arrest him, and three days later, or two days later, he's going to be hanging on a cross and he's just going to sit there and die. And they're going to put him in the ground and the whole thing's going to fall apart. And how are they going to feel? Troubled and afraid. He's trying to prep them for it. Don't be. Don't be. Did they get it? They were troubled and afraid. But he told them not to be. He said, I'm giving you a different kind of peace. You've heard it said that I will go away and will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. So these are specific instructions for what's coming next. He says, I'm, I'm leaving. You should be happy. They will not be happy. He says, but I'm, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to see Yahweh, which for them should be a very powerful image. What this means is we're winning, but they won't see it that way. I've told you, verse 29, I've told you before it happens so that when it happens, you'll believe. And that's exactly what happened. He said, I'm telling you this. I know you don't. I know. I know. I mean, Jesus is Jesus, so he knows. He says, but when it happens, then finally you'll go, ah. And it's not like the night of. It's like a week later, they're like, oh. And then they believed. And then what you see in their life, what happened then? They stopped being afraid. And most of them ended up dying. Most of them ended up being executed by these authorities. And they was like, yeah, sure, fine. They weren't afraid anymore. Why? Because then they got it. It just took them a while. Verse 30, here's the hard thing. I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he is nothing in me. Again, we breeze over that, but he's saying, I'm almost done talking to you. I'm not going to be here much longer, guys. I'm almost out of time. That's the hard thing. That's, this whole passage is him trying to get ready for the fact I'm leaving. And they, they, can't, they can't fathom that. They think they're with him forever. That's why they said things like, hey, can we sit with you on the thrones? He's like, yeah, that's not how that's going to work. It's not the time you're in. You think it's going to get better, and it's not. The ruler of this world is coming, and this ruler has nothing in me. Then why do we go through this? Why go through the hard thing? Verse 31, but 
so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Notice how it ends the same way at beginning. Love motivates obedience. He goes, I want the world to know, not that I obey the Father. I want the world to know that I love the Father. And because I love the Father, I obey. Obedience as an expression of love, not a path to love. Obedience, love causes obedience, not obedience causes love. Why do we do the hard thing? He says, because I want the world to know. I want the world to know that I love the Father. So let's discuss this and apply it to our lives. Changing worlds is hard. Hard things are scary, they're troubling. When we face hard things, we're, some of us are facing hard things right now. We're all facing a hard, you know, global pandemics, those are hard. Troubled times are hard, but some of you have your own hard thing you're, you're facing right now. Hard things are hard, they're scary. And so what does Jesus say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not the way the world gives peace. Because how does the world give peace? The world achieves peace by dealing with the scary thing, making it go away. You attack the scary thing. You fix the scary thing. You conquer the scary thing. You gain control over the scary thing, and now I can feel better. Why? Because the scary thing has been beaten. That's, the, that's what they thought was going to happen. He's gonna, what's their big scary thing? Rome. And they're like, and we've met the Messiah. True statement. And he's going to defeat Rome. Untrue statement. At least not the way they think. In fact, in 70 AD, Rome is going to come in and it's going to level Jerusalem to the ground and not even let Israel be even a country under, under someone else's control until the 20th century. It's going to get worse, not better. Rome will not be defeated. Rome will defeat Israel and does. That's part of our history. He says, the peace I give you is, don't be afraid. Why? So it's not based on the absence of hard things. Don't be afraid. Why? What do you mean? He says, because you're not alone. Verse 18 should sound so poignant. He's sitting there staring at these men, and he knows what they're about to go through. He knows how, how, how much it's going to mess them up when all of a sudden he's hauled away and he can't teach them anymore, and they kill him. And they've spent three years of their lives fully invested in this man, and he's going to die. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. The world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. Because I live, you will live also. Because I'm not leaving you alone. I, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you alone. You're not alone, you will see me. You are not orphans, I will come, and we will live in verses 20 and 21, and we will be together. And this is what later, after they got over their fear and dismay and troubledness, they got it. And it revolutionized their lives as they were attacked by the, both the religious authorities and by the Roman authorities. Many of them were executed, killed, tortured, arrested, beaten. 
and yet they had peace and they weren't afraid. Why? Because the big hard thing went away? No, it didn't. Because they said, but God's with us. We are not alone. Paul would say, pressed but not crushed, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Paul would say, I consider the sufferings of this present time are nothing compared to what I've got in Christ. Not alone. How do we do this? Verse 26, we need help. The Holy Spirit, His current presence lives in us. Verse 28, He says, if you love me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father and the Father is greater than me. This would have hit their ears different than it hits us because they had a, a well-developed idea and sense of awe about Yahweh. And he goes, I'm going to Yahweh, and Yahweh's in me. I am in Yahweh. I'm Yahweh, and you'll be with us. Whew. Yahweh had been, absent, had been silent for 400 years before Jesus showed up. They wondered where Yahweh was. He goes, we'll be together. The perspective he gives in verse 30. He says, you know, the, prince, the ruler of the world is coming. He has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. And they just weren't afraid. This is why Peter, who... I mean, Peter freaked out, right? Freaked out so bad that after they arrested Jesus, they go, weren't you with him? Oh, Jesus who? Never met the guy. Three times. Jesus warned him. I don't know the guy. Yet Peter is the one who in... His letter, 1 Peter, now living under Nero, who has such a warm affection for Christians that he literally lights them on fire. That's pretty warm. Or feeds them to lions. Nero's one of the worst guys for Christians. And Peter, what's Peter's attitude towards Nero, this guy who's so awful that he's killing Peter's people? And Peter says, honor the king. What? Peter, how can you say honor Nero? He's Nero, Peter. He's really against God. And Peter's like, I'm not afraid of Nero. He's just a ruler of this world. He has nothing. And Peter would be executed later. He wasn't afraid. Because that's the worst. What's the worst they're going to do to me? Make me more like Jesus? They have nothing in Christ. They're nothing to be afraid of. So what if they kill me? No fear. Not a defensive crouch, reactionary attitude. They just weren't afraid. He goes, they got nothing. Instead, instead, but that the world would know that we love the Father. That's why you have, in the Old Testament, we've talked about this repeatedly, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say, O king, we're loyal to you. But if you kill us today, that's fine. You just need to know we love the Father. That's our point. We just you got to know that. Whatever you do, our goal is that you would know that we love the Father. That's what we're here for, to proclaim the excellencies of Him. Our goal is to make you, that the world would know that we love the Father. 
So back a few weeks ago, we looked at the verse in Isaiah that says, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on him. And we saw that the word perfect peace is just the word peace twice, shalom, shalom. Complete completeness, full fullness, finished finishedness. Peace, peace, perfect peace. And we said that perfect peace comes when your mind is fixed on him. So we have pictures of this. Jesus in the boat during the storm. Remember that one? He crawls into the boat and he's really tired and he falls asleep. And the boat's under a storm and things are going nuts. And the disciples are bailing and rowing and paddling and everything else and not, not helping. And they're like, we're probably going to sink. And Jesus is still snoozing. And so finally they wake him up. They go, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? And we focus on the wrong part of the story because Jesus kind of wakes up and goes, everybody just stop. And the storm goes, okay. Says, Peace be still. But he turns, after he calms the storm, he just turns to his disciples and goes, now why were you afraid? What was that all about? Why were you afraid? I was with you. In other words, the point wasn't that he could calm the storm. The problem was, why did you worry about the storm? I was with you. But they weren't focused on him. They were focused on big, scary storm. Peter, walking on water. He gets out. What is it? It's stormy. He looks at Jesus. He's walking on water. Then he looks at the water. Ah! And he starts to sink. Jesus says, Peter, why'd you doubt? I was with you. I was with you. Peace the way God gives peace, the way Jesus gives peace, is not the end of storms, it's the end of fear. And that's what he was trying to tell these guys. Guys, it ain't going to get better, but I'm giving you peace. We're about to go through some really hard things. Don't be afraid. They weren't going to fix, he wasn't going to fix any of it the way they wanted to fix, the way they thought it was going to be fixed, which is why he's trying to get them ready for the fact of, oh, this is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. It's going to go bad. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me, and I'll be dead. And then, after they, and then they're going to come after you, and they're going to hate you, and they're going to kill you. Don't be afraid. Can you imagine getting that in the mail from one of our political parties? Washington is about to take away your rights. Don't worry about it. In fact, you don't even need to send any money. Well, that's weird. I've got to fire that intern. Jesus, don't be afraid. It's the end of fear, not the end of storms. He says, you're not orphans. You're not alone. I haven't abandoned you. I'm with you. So don't be afraid. One of the other examples he gave, one of the other parables, he goes, anyone who listens to my words and acts on them is like a house that's built on the rock. And the sun beat on that house and warmed it. And cool breezes cooled it. And they sat on the porch and sipped lemonade and rejoiced in the presence of God. Nope. That's not how that story goes, is it? says, and the wind blew and the storm beat against the house and it just stood there. 
They didn't say you wouldn't have the storm. They said you'd stand in it. That's the peace of God. And we live in a day where it's very stormy. And you may be facing your own hard things. And hard things are hard. And hard things are scary. And they hurt. And we say, where's the peace? And Jesus says, I give it to you. Not the way the world does. Not by making all the scary things goes away. I give you my peace. Don't be afraid. That's a hard one. One of my favorite current preachers, teachers, is Timothy Keller. He's, I think, now in his late 60s, early 70s. Just an amazing mind. If you read any of his books, his sermons or podcasts, you can listen to them. They're amazing. But he was, he's posted this a few times, but he posted it again this week on Twitter just to give people an update. He, has, he says, I have stage four pancreatic cancer. I'm going to die. Not the fun way. So he wrote an article in the Atlantic talking about how his faith has developed when facing physical death. It's amazing. Peace. Not as the world gives. Let's pray. Father, we live in a time where we have a lot of people trying to achieve peace through power through subduing the scary things and, and winning over them or making them go away or whatever. And of course, all we have is just more storm. We have people who promise us easy outs for things like new viruses that make us sick. And they try to tell us that scary things aren't scary and that we are foolish to recognize scary things. But Lord, scary things are scary and hard things are hard. And you did not take those things away. Your disciples had a hard road. And we may. But we can have peace. By fixing our mind on you, we're not alone. You're with us every day. Your Holy Spirit, if we have put our faith in you, your Holy Spirit dwells in us. And every day we can take our minds off the waves. Instead of looking at the waves and being afraid of the waves, we can fix our minds on you. Because you have promised. And your promises are sure. And so, Lord, I don't know everybody's scary thing this week or hard thing. I know some of them. It's going to hurt. That's hard. And may we find your peace. May not be emotional tranquility, but the firm rock of you can be trusted in the midst of the storms of this world. And may that be so recognizable among our friends, our family members, that they will say, well, how come you're okay? 
when you're not okay? How do you keep going when it's so crushing? And they'll say, only because of you. Only because of the one who loved us enough to die for us on the cross. Lord, as we come to your table right now, we come to remind ourselves of your love for us. That is the reason that we love you back. That is the heart of why we obey. We love you because you loved us first. And as we now take the bread and the cup, may we focus on your great love for us in Jesus' name. Amen.